Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver, and today is going to be a packed show. This will probably be the longest show I've done since going solo a few months back. Today, I will be recapping the three major fights from this past weekend. I will be giving my prediction as to where uh, the great Devin Haney's career will be going in the next two years, what I believe his next four fights, the next three fights could be in the next two years. I will be giving my five greatest Philadelphia fighters of all time. And I will end the show with another one of my essays that I've written on the FightGameMedia.com website. 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years. Today, my number 37. And the theme is undisputed on this program, being that Devin Haney is now the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. Well, my number 37 uh, greatest fighter of the last 45 years was at one point the undisputed junior welterweight champion of the world, and that is the legendary Russian and uh, just all-around great fighter, Costa Zoo. And I will end the program with that. Now, to begin with the program, real quick, out in the UK, was aired Saturday afternoon on The Zone, and uh, great job by The Zone not having those clowns, Mannix, uh, Grisham and Mora announced this fight. We had uh, Joe Cordino knock out Kenichi Ogawa to win the IBF 130-pound junior lightweight championship, and it was brilliantly done. First round was a very even round. Both men landed uh, excellent shots. You could you make could make an argument for either one. Midway through the second round, Cordino fainted with his left hand and froze Ogawa and then came right down the pipe with a Tommy Hearns-esque right cross to knock out Ogawa. I mean, just a brutal knockout, picture-perfect right cross. In my leading contender now for knockout of the year, Cordino wins his first world title. And what does that uh have in line for Cordino now? Uh, Cordina is one of three 130-pound champions, Roger Gutierrez and Shakur Stevenson being the other two. He doesn't have a shot in hell at being Shakur Stevenson. Uh, Gutierrez is a golden boy fighter, so he's under the DAZN banner, so that fight can easily be made. Uh, Cordino could go ahead and, and fight Gut- Gutierrez, and I think he'd beat the rugged uh, veteran journeyman in uh, Roger Gutierrez and you could set up possibly a unification fight with Shakur Stevenson uh Cordina's a good boxer Shakur Stevenson is on another ungodly level one of the greatest defensive fighters of all time already at his tender age Cordina's a good boxer but what will happen to him will happen to what 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 will happen to him happened to George Cambosos, and I'll get into that later on. But uh, the the future is bright for Cordino, so we will see what happens. Um, I also would be intrigued to see a fight between him and Oscar Valdez, and um, 
In my opinion, he'd give Valdez a brutal beating. But we will see. We will see what happens with Cordina. Great win. Uh, congratulations to the Welshman. You have another in, in uh, great Welsh fighter, possibly, in the tradition of Wales. Now, on to, and up until this point, Cordina, by winning that fight Saturday afternoon in the in the fashion he did, I was I was about to say yeah, that is the fighter of the week. No, he's not the fighter of the week because the next two guys I will talk about did masterful boxing uh, matches against better opponents. So Cordina, who could have been the fighter of the week, falls to number three. The next two guys are the two best fighters of the week. And first, I'll start with the best fighter of the week. And that is Scooter Stephen Fulton out of West Philadelphia. He defended two of the 130-pound alphabet title uh, titles. I mean, 122 pounds, my bad. Cordino, 130 pounds. He, he defended... Two of the alphabet titles at 122 pounds, super bantamweight slash junior featherweight division against the always game, the very skilled and tough Danny Ramon. And Daniel Ramon just did not have it. He couldn't have. The way Fulton fought, now I would now I predicted Fulton would win by decision, but I thought it would be a tougher fight because Fulton has a tendency to slug when he should box. No, Fulton knew that if he boxed, it'd be a much easier fight for him. And unlike his last two fights against Leo and Figueroa, he stayed on the outside. He fought behind a beautiful left jab. He landed counter lefts and right crosses, body shots when he was inside. And he totally dominated Danny Roman in winning all 12 rounds Every second of every round, it was a complete masterpiece by Stephen Fulton, Stephen Fulton, however you want to call him, bad boy, uh, cool boy Steve, Scooter Fulton. Uh, Stephen Fulton is a tremendous fighter. Stephen Fulton is a tremendous fighter. and I, I've heard people say both names. I'm just going to call him Scooter. Scooter will beat Akhmadaliev, I can never say the guy's name, who's got two of the other alphabet titles. If they can make that fight, Fulton will be the next undisputed world champion in boxing at 122 pounds because there's nothing Akhmadaliev could do to counter Fulton's masterful boxing. When Fulton wants to, he cannot be touched. I mean, tremendous defensive fighter when he wants to be, which he did in this fight. Roman... As a former uh, two uh, two alphabet title belt holder at 122 pounds, I thought he won against Akhmadaliev. Akhmadaliev refused to give him a rematch. Kudos to Fulton to give him Roman a rematch that he deserved two years ago. And what can I say? Fulton was just phenomenal. And I've always said this on both on social media. And a few times on, on, on my, my several podcasts that I do Is that uh, Fulton reminds me of Meldrick Taylor And Meldrick Taylor had the same Meldrick Taylor was a tremendous boxer Who had the tendency to slug And Fulton reminded me of that Now, if Fulton can do what Taylor 
could not do, and that is stop the urge to slug with 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 with, uh, with his opponents. Because to be honest with you, if Meldrick Taylor didn't slug with Julio Cesar Chavez, he wins an easy. I mean, he he won the first ten rounds on my scorecard in that fight anyway. But if he would have stayed outside and not slugged it with Chavez, he would have won a decision. You wouldn't have had the controversial stoppage with two seconds left in the fight. The only way these guys at 122 pounds, Akhmadeliev, uh, I know Figueroa moved up to 126 pounds, but anybody else at 122 pounds, only way they got a shot at beating Figueroa, I mean, not Figueroa, uh, Fulton, is to engage in a, in, 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 a, in a firefight. And Fulton... Did not do this in this fight against Roman because that's the only shot Roman had. And I think he's matured into that tremendous boxer that I've always known he could be. And he was just masterful. Another in a long line of legendary Philadelphia boxers. And today, ladies and gentlemen, before I go on to the final fight recap of the weekend, I want to... Uh, uh, and and um, also later on in the, in the episode, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, just to be honest, I am recording this part. Uh, this is a three-part podcast. I'm reporting the I'm recording the first part Sunday morning because I want to talk about yesterday Saturday's events with a fresh mind, with a fresh memory. So I'm recording part one this morning. Sunday morning after I saw Rafa Nadal with a masterful 6-3-6-3 6-love French Open final to win his 14th French Open final and in my opinion he is the greatest tennis player of all time he's the female greatest tennis player of all time and Serena is the greatest female tennis player of all time they're heads and shoulders above everybody else but that's another story for another day for another podcast on another platform after I just watched that, I'm recording part one. Part two will be recorded Tuesday morning after Nioa Inoue's rematch against Nonino Donaire. And part three will be recorded right after that on the career retrospective of Costa Zoo. Now, before I go on to Devin Haney's masterful performance against George Cambosis, Keeping with the theme of great Philadelphia fighters and Stephen Fulton is now, in my opinion, an all-time great Philadelphia fighter. I'm going to name, in my opinion, the five greatest Philadelphia fighters of all time. Number five is Matthew Saad Muhammad, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest come-from-behind fighters. He's had a great story. Um... I'm not going to go into how he overcame being an orphan, being found abandoned on the streets of Philadelphia as a little boy. But uh, Matthew Saad Muhammad, when he was light heavyweight champion of the world from 1979 to 1981, was, in my opinion, and it's not even close, the most exciting light heavyweight champion of all time. He had classic fights with Marvin Johnson when he won the world title. With John Conte, former world champion, he beat him twice. Excuse me. Um, the 
legendary and, in my opinion, the greatest light heavyweight title fight of all time. July of 1980 against Yaki Lopez in a fight that looked like a Rocky movie. Uh, Matthew finally lost his title in December of 81 to Dwight Braxton, who became Dwight Muhammad Kwari, was brutally beaten in the rematch and was never the same after that. But that being said, he is the fifth greatest light heavyweight of all time from Philadelphia. I mean, fifth greatest Philadelphia fighter of all time, in my opinion. Number four is Joey Giardello. Great middleweight champion from the early 60s. Now, I know a lot of you, you listeners saw the movie The Hurricane. Denzel Washington's incredible performance of Reuben Hurricane Carter. And in the movie, they made it look like Hurricane Carter got robbed against Joey Giardello when he fought for Giardello's, Giardello's world middleweight title. No. The entire fight's on YouTube. Watch it. Giardello Giordello boxed Ruben Carter's ears off. Ruben Carter was a one-dimensional slugger. Oh, he had great punching power. He knocked out legendary welterweight and middleweight champion Emil Griffin in the first round, right? But Giordello was a master boxer, beautiful boxer, and he boxed Carter's ears off for the entire 15 rounds to win an easy decision. The movie used creative license to make it look like Carter was robbed. No, Carter wasn't robbed. Carter got his ass kicked. He got a boxing lesson that night. So that's my number four, Joey Giardello. Number three is Jolting Jeff Chandler, my favorite Philadelphia fighter of all time. And I'm going to save the rest of what happened in his career as to why he's number three, because in a future podcast, I will be doing a historical retrospective of Jolting Jeff Chandler. Number two, the executioner, Bernard Hopkins. And I will save uh, Bernard's uh, breakdown of why he's number two later on. Because, uh, a matter of fact, you could go on fightgamemedia.com and look at the articles I've written on both Jeff Chandler and Bernard Hopkins and see what what I think about and what I thought about their incredible runs as all-time great Philadelphia fighters. And Bernard, I will also, on this podcast, do a historical retrospective on his career. But that's way down the line, maybe towards the end of the year or early next year. Jeff Chandler will be happening imminently. And the greatest Philadelphia fighter of all time, he is one of the most underrated heavyweight champions of all time, the first man to beat Muhammad Ali, The only men he ever lost to in his career were to Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And that is Smokin' Joe Frazier. Smokin' Joe Frazier was the consummate bob and weave fighter. Go to the body. A very underrated defensive fighter early in his career. Was never the same after his first fight against Muhammad Ali. In which he was hospitalized and rumors had it he almost died. Joe Frazier, both Ali and Frazier lost a lot in their first fight. And their third fight, they were completely spent and shot. But yes, Joe Frazier, in my opinion, the greatest Philadelphia fighter of all time. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to Devin Haney making history with his virtuoso 12-round 
unanimous decision over George Cambosis to become the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, the first undisputed lightweight champion of the world in 30 years, the last being Sweet Pea Pernell Whitaker when he gave up the title back in 1991-92. Uh, just an amazing performance by Devin Haney. And now I want to rip some of the critics out there, uh, people who posted on social media, oh, I can't watch Devin Haney. He doesn't take any chances. He's boring. Oh, he, he he doesn't take any chances. Why the fuck should he take any chances? When Devin Haney took chances against Jojo Diaz and Jorge Linares in his last two fights, he almost got knocked out. But great fighters learns, learn from their mistakes. I predicted, and by the way, listeners can vouch for this. For the uh, new listeners, you can go back in the archives. You can go back two months. I have been correct on every damn prediction I've made on the big fights the last two months, right? I said if Stephen Fulton and Devin Haney boxed the way they were supposed to box, the way they know how to box, there's no way in the world Danny Roman or Cambosis could beat them. Cambosis' only shot was to try and lure Haney into a firefight. Haney wasn't going to do that. And for those who complain, oh, he doesn't take any chances. He's boring. He 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 fights too safe. Boxing is the, the science of hit and not get hit. Right? Floyd Mayweather, Pernell Whitaker were masters of that. Shakur Stevenson is a, a master of that. Last year, you guys ripped Shakur Stevenson for the way he fought Nakathili. And he won every second of every minute of every round in that fight against Nakadili. What did Nakadili Nakadili do when he fought <laughs> Burchelt? He blasted him, beat the hell out of him. Why? Because Burchelt's a one-dimensional slugger. Cambosas is an excellent counterpuncher, and he can out-hustle you like he did Teo Lopez. Teo Lopez was looking to knock out Cambosas with one shot, got dropped, and beaten decisively via decision. Devin Haney wasn't making that same mistake. Devin Haney stayed outside. He jabbed the best he ever jabbed in his career. That left jab was in Cambosa's face all night long. There were rounds last night, ladies and gentlemen, that Haney won with the jab alone, and his defense was superb. He made Cambosa's miss all night long. Beautiful win. Um, I had it one eighteen, one ten, but you could have made you 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 could have made a, an argument that Haney won every round. I thought Cambosis out hustled him in the ninth round, very close round, and in the twelfth round, Haney was fighting safe and just um, making sure that he didn't get caught with anything, which was smart because he had plenty of rounds in the bank. Um, a lot of people thought Cambosis would win by robbery in a in, in a close fight. This fight was such a w w w was such a one sided affair that if a robbery would occur, uh, I might have quit watching boxing. All right, that's how dominant Devin Haney was. No, he should never take chances like he did against Linares and um, uh, uh, Diaz. No, he should fight safe. Now, I'm going to reiterate because I predicted. Once again, I was writing my predictions. Uh, 
I predicted that Haney would win by a lopsided decision. And I told uh, the audience a few weeks ago on this podcast what I thought the next two years would be for uh, Haney. And I want to I wanna um, shout out three listeners because um, I told them I would break, th- break down what Haney would do the next two years. I want to shout out uh, the only Bianca, wonderful young sister, very, very, very uh, talented model and photographer. My brother Milkman and my brother Sly Guy, all right, on 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 Twitter, I promised them that I would break down what I what I thought of Haney versus Tank. But first and for and Haney versus Loma. First and foremost, let me tell the the listeners and reiterate what I said a few weeks ago: what the next two years will entail or could entail for Haney, because we could always have an injury or something crazy happen. In Haney's life There shouldn't be a rematch But there's going to be a rematch Combosis has a rematch clause And you know what He's going to take it Because if he doesn't take it He ain't never getting another shot At that uh, at the Undisputed Lightweight Championship of the world He might as well take it when he can And the only way Combosis could beat Haney in a rematch Is if they let him come in the ring with a shotgun Alright And um By the way for those of you that are offended by that comment Fuck off Okay, now, after he beats Cambosis in the rematch, and it'll be another 12-round shutout, he will uh, he, he will then, in my opinion, fight Lomachenko because Lomachenko's an Aaron, Aaron fighter, and Haney has signed a multi-fight deal with uh, Bob Rank and uh, Bob Aram in top rank. And in... By the time he fights Loma, Loma would have lost another step. You saw the Loma against Teo Lopez have problems with Lopez's left jab. Haney has a much better jab and is tall, much taller than Lomachenko, and he's going to move. It'll be a much more competitive fight than uh, uh, Cambosas was, and Lomachenko won't get shut out. Lomachenko might win three or four rounds. He's not going to be able to out slug Haney or keep him inside long enough to do the to do the damage to the body that Lomachenko needs to do to wear Haney down to knock him out because I don't see Lomachenko beating Haney by decision because Haney is going to use is going to use his youth and superior hand speed and foot speed now Lomachenko in his prime had superior hand speed and foot I mean he had elite hand and foot speed Lomachenko's lost a step, as you saw in his fight against Lopez. He's long in the tooth. And by the time these two guys get in the ring early next year, maybe between March and May, if my prediction comes to fruition, he would have lost another step, and he would be a step slower, and he will not have the speed to defeat Haney. Haney, by unanimous decision, a very convincing win. And then... The third and final fight will be a pay-per-view fight sometime next fall. And it's right now I'm leaning towards Shakur Stevenson. But if somehow, but if Shakur fights Tank before, uh, no, no, let me take that out of consideration. I, Shakur Stevenson will be the easier fight for Haney to make. And so it's either going to be Shakur Stevenson or Javante Tank Davis. 
If Haney fights Stevenson, it will be a tough. It will be the toughest fight of either man's career. I think Stevenson has the superior jab, being a softball, and he's the superior defensive fighter. Not by a lot, but Shakur Stevenson is one of the best defensive fighters I've ever seen, and he's the best defensive fighter in the world today. It will be a chess match. Shout out to uh, my brother Eli on Twitter. He broke it down exactly the way I feel, so I'm going to give Eli the credit for thinking the way I'm thinking. Shakur wins in a chess match by... Close decision. It will be the first time that he actually loses rounds in a fight. But I think him being a softball, him being a better defensive fighter, him being the better offensive fighter, he's better in both categories. But it won't be easy. Shakur by one of the judges to score a draw. So Shakur by majority decision, but he definitely won the fight. But let's say Haney doesn't fight Shakur. He fights Gervonta Tank Davis. Haney versus Tank Davis has Ali versus Frazier, the first fight, written all over it. But Gervonta is a better boxer than Joe Frazier ever was. Now, Joe Frazier was a great in his early in his career uh, with the... With, 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 with coming inside and bobbing and weaving of making his opponents miss. So, um, but after the first Ali fight, which he took a tremendous amount of punishment, he was never the same defensive fighter. Javante can move when he wants to. Javante has a lot of Aaron Pryor in him in which he could adjust and move. As you saw in his last two fights against Isaac Cruz and... Uh, Raleigh the rapist Romero and he was uh, able to move and get away from their power punching and he had to against Cruz because he had broken his hand um, and against Raleigh he was set Raleigh up for, for the counter the, the, the counter lefts in which he eventually caught him with a counter left hook to knock him out last week Javante versus uh, Haney could also be a chess match because Javante knows that he has to knock Haney out. Haney knows that he has to stay outside and not get caught with Davis's power. I see Davis moving from time to time, but when he's inside, he's going to beat the hell out of Haney's body. Haney will will will, will move, um land his jab and win and dominate probably the first half of the fight. But late in the fight, sometime between rounds 10 and 12, Tank will catch Haney. We've seen Haney have a shaky chin. Now, getting hurt by Linares and Diaz is one thing. Getting hurt by Gervonta Tank Davis, who has Mike Tyson-like power at 135 pounds, is a different story. I see Tank way behind on the cards, Scoring a come-from-behind knockout between rounds 10 and 12. Because once he gets Haney hurt, and that's going to be set up by body punching throughout the first nine rounds. Once he gets Haney hurt, it's a wrap. And it's good night, uh, Devin. And Tank wins. Um, in my opinion, the only fighter today that can beat Tank Davis over a 12-round period 
It's your Court Stevenson. But that's another story for another day. 135-pound division is red hot. Let's get rid of the old man Lomachenko. Let's get rid of Cambosis. And let's just focus on Tank, Shakur, Devin Haney, and um the crybaby, uh, Ryan Garcia, who's the worst of the four and who will lose to all three when it's all said and done. Now, on to Nayoa Inoue against Nonino Donaire in their rematch. Okay, it is now Tuesday morning, June 7th. Uh, before I do my recap of Nayoa Inoue's sensational, phenomenal destruction of legendary Filipino great Nonito Donaire, I wanted to shout out my brother Colby Jackson. Uh, my brother, um, personal friend of mine, a follower of the show for this show and all my other shows throughout the several platforms I on, uh, I'm on. I forgot, I failed to mention earlier that him and his beautiful wife were at ringside to watch Stephen Fulton's uh, virtuoso performance over Danny Roman. Kobe, I appreciate you, bro. Love you. Now, on to... Now, I predicted an eighth-round knockout. I didn't know it would be it would be over in the second round. But Nonino Donaire career has to end right now. It's time for him to call it a day. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. No, no shame in going down and getting destroyed by the greatest fighter on the planet right now. As I've said for the... As I've been saying on all my platforms since 2016, Nayoa Inoue, back in 2016, I said he was going to be the greatest Japanese fighter of all time. Six years later, he is the greatest Japanese fighter of all time, and it's not even close. All right. He's the best fighter in the world. Don't give me this bullshit about resume. I don't look at resumes. I look at the way the fighter fights in the ring and the way he controls the action and how unbeatable he is, right? Nayoa Monster Inoue has the best jab in the sport, has a Thomas Hearns-like jab. He has Thomas Hearns-like power both in his left hand and right hand. He is the closest thing I've seen to Thomas Hearns since Thomas Hearns. And you know what? Is a difference between these two? Inoue's chin is better than Hearns' chin, okay? When it's all said and done, and Thomas Hearns is my favorite fighter of all time, and he will always be my favorite fighter of all time, and Noe is my favorite active fighter today, but Hearns is my favorite fighter of all time. When it's all said and done, I'm going to predict that Naomi Inoue is going to have a greater career and go down as a greater fighter all time than Thomas Hearns. He still got work to do, though. He still has work to do. But, man, uh, real quick, second round destruction. First round, first half of the round was a feeling out round. I was getting upset because I'm nervous because 
you know, like with Hearns, like with uh, James Tony, like with Boots and Shakur, those are my favorite fighters, right? I get nervous before the bell rings and I'm antsy and I'm standing in front of the TV and I'm screaming, throw the jab, throw the jab, because everything he know he does is off that jab. Ladies and gentlemen, he is not a slugger. He's a boxer that can punch like a Thomas Hearns, like a Boots Ennis. They knock you out, but they box your ears off first. But you know he started pumping that jab halfway through the round. He was controlling the action. And then late in the second round, beautiful left jab, right cross combination, down went Donaire right before the bell sounded. Right then and there, I knew it was over. Now I want now I want it. I'm screaming at the TV. You know he go to the body. Second round, you know he didn't go to the body as often as I thought he should have, but it didn't matter. He was landing hooks and rights at will. He landed a beautiful left hook that had Donaire stumbling across the ring. And then he finished him off with another picture-perfect left hook. Referee didn't bother to count. It's over. No Nino Donaire's career, career's over. And the Japanese monster, Naoya Inoue, continues on his trajectory to becoming possibly a top 10 greatest fighter of all time now that's not blasphemous because he still has a ways to go he's not top 10 there yet but he has the potential to be I'm just saying that all right and in my opinion and i'm gonna say this loud he's the best fighter pound for pound in the world right now period end of story oh man i uh just an incredible performance by an incredible fighter ladies and gentlemen Two most the two biggest and biggest key elements in a boxer that I look at the two biggest well the three let's go three defense the jab and body punching now he know he's best defense is his offense because he uses that jab to keep you off when he's pumping that jab like you saw Stephen Fulton and Devin Haney do Saturday night. It keeps his opponent off guard. And, and he know his jab is even stronger than theirs because it's like his jab is like a punch. He smacks you with that jab like a Larry Holmes and a Thomas Hearns used to do. It keeps you off guard. You're like, what the fuck? And then he'll blind you with that jab and he, he'll either hook off the jab or throw a right cross right down the middle like he did in the first round. And then the second round, those two monster hooks by the monster Mr. Donaire, please retire, all right? You have a beautiful relationship with your wife. I could tell that you two are, are more, more in love today than when you first met. Go take care of your family, baby. You've done what you had to do in boxing. Don't end up, don't end up like your countryman, Manny Pacquiao, all right? All right, now we go on to the final segment of the program, and that is a historical, a historical retrospective on who I consider the greatest Russian fighter of all time, and that's legendary junior welterweight. I, I, I believe, yes, I have him ranked as my second greatest junior welterweight of all time. That is Costa Zoo. And I begin with the article. After the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, Several fighters of the Soviet Union boxing team migrated to countries in pursuit of a pro career. 
The most famous and talented of this bunch was Costa Zoo. Zoo migrated to Australia and began a career that resulted in him being on not only the shortlist for the greatest Russian boxer of all time, but also the 37th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Zoo at five foot seven inches was deceptively tall at 140. Zoo used a shotgun left jab to set up what I considered the single greatest right cross in the history of the super lightweight division. Zoo would walk you down until he eventually landed that nuclear right hand. In only his 14th pro fight, Zoo battered IBF 140-pound champion Jake Rodriguez over six rounds on January 28, 1995 to win his first super lightweight world title. For the next 10 years, Zoo would dominate the division like no other 140-pounder ever did in an entire decade. After four successful defenses, one in which included a 12-round decision over the aging Roger Mayweather, Zoo fought the very dangerous Vince Phillips on May 31, 1997. Phillips' style was very similar to the champions, a long, stiff left jab and a booming right cross. After surviving several rocky moments early on, Phillips recovered and began punishing Zoo with one right hand after another, culminating in a 10th round technical knockout and one of the biggest upsets in the history of the division. After his shock and loss to Phillips, Zoo bounced back with four straight knockouts, earning him a fight with former 140-pound title holder Miguel Angel Gonzalez for the vacant WBC version on August 21st, 1999. Zoo gave the former Mexican world champion a hellacious beating, resulting in Gonzalez's trainer jumping on the ring apron in the 10th round to stop the fight. Zoo was back on top. After battering an over-the-hill Julio Cesar Chavez, Zoo would enter Don King and Showtime's super lightweight tournament to crown the division's first undisputed champion in over 30 years. On February 3, 2001, Zoo faced WBA 140-pound champion Shamba Mitchell with the winner set to face IBF champion Zab Judah. Mitchell was a defensive-minded softball who constantly moved and was very hard to hit. Zoo knew this would be a tough fight against the fleet-footed softball. He decided from the onset to attempt to rough up Mitchell. Mitchell had a habit of tying up his opponents when they got too close. Zoo would retaliate by roughhousing Mitchell during the many clinches, resulting in Mitchell suffering an injury to his left knee early on in the contest. This caused Mitchell to try and hold on even more. Zoo wisely added strain to Mitchell's injury by pushing down on Mitchell's head several times during the plethora of clinches. Zoo won an ugly fight when Mitchell quit in his corner after the seventh round. After a lackluster successful defense against Octay Orcal, Zoo would fight Judah on November 30, on November 3rd, 2001, in the most anticipated 140-pound fight since the June 1996 Oscar De La Hoya bludgeoning of Chavez. It would be the night Zoo cemented his legacy in the division. In 2001, Judah, along with Floyd Mayweather, was considered the best young star in boxing. Zuda, at the time, was 24 years old with incredible hand speed and punching power. Add the fact that Judah was a softball and with a 5-inch reach advantage, Zoo seemed to be in for a tough night. The first round confirmed many boxing experts' beliefs that Judah was just too quick as he completely dominated Zoo with lightning combinations and lateral, mo lateral movement. 
Then, early on in the second round, Zhu began to time his right cross, landing a few that almost connected cleanly. Then, with less than 20 seconds left in the round, Zhu connected with a shotgun of a right cross that sent Judah crashing to the canvas. Judah unwisely tried to get right back up, which resulted in Judah falling face first to the canvas while his legs seemingly did a version of the Harlem Shuffle. While Judah did beat the count, referee Jay Nady correctly ruled that Judah was in no condition to continue. With a single right hand, Zhu changed the course of history. Judah, despite later on becoming an undisputed welterweight champion, never fulfilled his potential. Every time he fought an all-time great fighter, he'd lose. Meanwhile, Zhu continued to reign as a 140-pound king for another three and a half years. After the monumental victory over Judah, Zhu would only defend his title once a year between 2002 and 2005. It was his final fight on June 4, 2005 that saw Zhu was no longer the fighter who ruled the division with an iron hand for almost 10 years. Zhu ventured to Ricky Hatton's hometown of Manchester, England and was completely completely out-hustled, outmanned, and bullied for 11 rounds by the 26-year-old energetic Hatton. Zhu, a few months shy of turning 36, just didn't have what it took to neutralize Hatton, resulting in the Russian legend retiring in his corner before the start of the 12th and final round. Zhu would retire immediately after the Hatton loss with a final record of 31 wins, 2 losses, and 25 knockouts. Despite several lucrative offers to return, Zhu never wavered on his decision to stay retired. During his decade, decade of dominance in the division, Zhu would successfully defend his title 13 times while becoming the first undisputed 140-pound champion in over 30 years. Today, Zhu is a huge celebrity in his adoptive hometown of Australia and is helping guide his son Tim in carrying the name Zhu as one of the hottest prospects in boxing. And by the way, uh, uh, Tim and Costa are no longer on speaking terms. Tim has gone his separate ways. They've gone his separate ways, um, but uh, Tim has developed into a real true contender and is on the short list of fighters that Jermel Charlo will defend his undisputed 154-pound title against next. Now, before I sign off, I want to uh, encourage the people out there that if they want to hear more coverage, exclusive coverage on Fight Game Media, go to the link in the in the uh, there's a description of a link in the um there's a link in the description of the podcast. Uh, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm still half asleep. I woke up early to watch Inoue's beautiful destruction of Donaire. Uh, there's a link in the description of the podcast um, for the for those who want to pay five dollars a month for the Fight Game Patreon podcast. You have exclusive coverage of AEW, WWE, Impact, UFC, Bellator. If there's a Mud Show Outlaw show somewhere in the middle of Arkansas, the boys from um, Fight Game Media will be covering and probably do a podcast on it. Um, and I have a monthly show on the Patreon podcast, The Greatest Upsets in Boxing History. The last one I did was Villamar Fernandez's summer of 1978 shocking upset of the legendary Alexis Arguello. 
next month, f- f- um, at the beginning of July, I will be coming out with uh, Iran Barkley's shocking third-round knockout of Thomas Hearns back on June 6, 1988. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's my pleasure. Talk to you great people next week.